Good morning, everybody. You excited about this good weather? Yes. You sad it's going to get cold? Anybody yeah. says, yeah, I know. <clears throat> enjoy today. En- enjoy today out there. Um, I, I don't normally do this to um, sort of piggyback off of what Bud has been teaching. I tend to go in a different direction, um, but I, I felt compelled by the Lord this week to kind of pick up the baton as he has finished a series. He'll, I don't know if he's going to start a series next week or just a standalone message, but he, he finished uh, a series last week. And, and I feel like I kind of need to continue on just a little bit. If you haven't been here and so don't know uh, sort of where he's been, a, a little while ago he had um, received a vision. The Lord had spoken to him a prophetic word that... Um, that this generation, these children and children's children, our children and our children's children, we're gonna learn the word faster. We're we're going to uh, accelerate in their faith much more quickly than perhaps some of us had, Uh, but it's our responsibility to want to teach them uh, and and grow them up in that way. And then he went into, that was I think a standalone message, and then he went into a series where he has been in 2 Timothy and Paul has been talking to Timothy about things to be prepared for the, the things in the last days that will come. And he, he went through all those different things. And um, we see those, don't we? As he's been teaching, don't you, can't you think of examples out in the world and be like, wow, th- we're there. This is really happening. And he finished last week and he, he left with, we have to be the light in in. Uh, with all of these things happening in the world, we, we have got to somehow have a counter move. We have got to be different. And so um, the, the message was be the light. And that's one of my favorite actually little phrases, um, Christian phrases I have on my desk at home, uh, which is where I do all my study, all my quiet time, everything on, on this big desk. Um, and actually I have a lamp and this cross hangs on there and it says, be the light on that. And I like to look at that when I first sit down in my chair every morning. It's very, very important. So I thought, well, that was a great way to end that message. And <clears throat> the Lord woke, woke me up in the middle of the night uh, this past week. I don't know if that ever happens to you, but if you suddenly awaken and you think it's something you ate or you just are like, oh, well, I just couldn't sleep, pay attention because the Lord may have awakened you for a specific reason. And he did that with me and he reminded me all I saw was a lamp that I have on a different desk. I have a home office and I like to think that I'm a little bit crafty. Uh, not nearly like my mom, and I can't do the things she does, but I have a craft table, at least I call it that, uh, and I like to do uh, photo scrapbooking for sure on that, and what I saw was, and I knew it was from the Lord, I saw that lamp, and it's a fancy little lamp. I I like to play with it because it has a, it has kind of a base, and it it has an arm that sticks out like this, but it's it's got, um, I, I run my finger back and forth across it because it has about 10 different settings of light on it. It has natural light, it has fluorescent light, it has kind of a yellow tone, it has kind of a, I don't know, warm tone, a cool tone, all this stuff, and I've, I tend to just slide it back and forth and, and kind of play with it, but that was what the Lord showed me. And I thought, they're all light. Every one of those settings is light. 
but they're not all the same light, are they? And it will give you a different view of things. And I knew that the Lord was saying, look, I want you to talk about being the light. And then he proceeded to give me exactly how to do that. And honestly, I didn't really want to do this message. I, I thought he'd give me one little standalone with like three or four points that all had started with the same letter. I like those. And I was like, oh, this, this is going to be good. And he's like, no, I want you to go here. And I was like, okay. And so as, as, I, as we think about being the light and what we're supposed to be in the world, here, here's what we have to understand. We have to understand that there's a culture out there and there's a culture in here. And I don't just mean, when I say we now, I'm gonna be talking about the Christian church, all, all churches, and I'm pretty much just gonna talk about the United States because that's where I live and that, that's what I'm gonna talk about. Um, but there is a culture out there that is, if I think even over the last 10 years, the rapid changes that have come. And Bud was absolutely right when he talked about that COVID, it did some things. If you don't notice the change since COVID, and I don't mean that you, know, you have to take a test when you feel sick or that kind of stuff, there's a change. And he said that he believes that there is a, um, a rank of demon that has never been released on the earth before that has been released since COVID. And, and there is a, I can feel it and almost see it. It's like a fog. It's a great heaviness out there. But a lot of people, and this is what I see, I don't watch a lot of news at all. I know what's going on in the world, but I choose not to watch a lot of news. But here's what's happening in, in the Christian world. And you have, to, you have to understand this. People and churches are learning about God from the culture out there. And they're making decisions about who they want God to be. Now just listen to the fact I just said that statement, who they want God to be. The arrogance of our society is just mind-blowing. They're deciding who they want God to be, and then they're choosing their religion and their churches based on if it's what I believe. And the only way I can, I always have to have a visual to understand something, this is the only way I can, can see it. So um, imagine going to a salad bar, okay? There's some really good ones around, not one of those little creepy ones, the one that's like, you could just go on for days, right? And you get your plate, and you go through your salad bar, and you pick exactly what you want, right? Like in, in the last service I said, so I have to find somebody that identifies with this. I hate olives. Anybody have an olive hater here? Oh, God bless you all. It's horrible, isn't it? They're disgusting, I know. So you're going through your salad bar, you're like, oh, I like this, and oh, I like the cheese, and I like the carrots, and I like the tomatoes, and then you get those olives, or whatever it is that is your thing that you, because everybody has something they hate on there. It's like, ooh. And you're just like, I don't want that. So I'm gonna skip over it. I'm gonna skip it and I'm not gonna take the parts I don't like. I'm only gonna take what I like and that's my salad. My salad. I get to make my salad any way that I want to and everybody has to like that that's 
how I make my salad. And that's what the culture out there is doing to believers, and that's what they're doing to churches, saying, we only want some of the things. I like this about God, but man, I don't like that part, and I'm skipping over that part, and don't you dare even use the same spoon on that part as you'd use on something else, because I'm not going to have that on my plate. And we are coming to a place where that's our understanding of Christianity is what we're learning out there. And out there says, just create God. Make him be the way you want him to be. And you can still call yourself a Christian and you can still show light. But what light is being shown? So we have to figure out, is this, maybe it's not a big deal. Maybe because that's my, you know, wheelhouse, maybe it's a big deal to me, and you're like, huh, you're just, you know, you're just trying to scare us, or you're just trying to throw all this stuff up there, because it's no big deal. We're still showing the light of God. It's all good, isn't it? Because there's all these different shades of light to show, but are we showing the true light, and how do we, how do we figure this out? Well, fortunately, God, so smart, so perfectly smart, we have this word of God and, and, and there's a lot of people out there that are like, we should just have New Testaments now and we really don't even need everything in there. We really don't like what Paul has to say and well, we don't really like what Jesus has to say that much. And, and so let's just get a Bible that's about 10 pages long um, and that, that's optional. Um, but God gave us a whole Bible's worth. And so we look at the Old Testament and we think, what is the point? Why do we have all of this? We have the entire history of the nation of Israel, God's chosen people. We now are God's chosen people. We have their history to look at and go, can we learn stuff from them? Did they have to deal with the culture around them? Oh, yes. God meant them to be a set-apart people and not be like the culture around them, and they struggled with it all the time. So are there things that we can learn from the Old Testament? Absolutely, a great, great wealth of knowledge. I'm only gonna tell one story today. One story from the Old Testament, because I, I, I can't, there's so much here, uh, and, it, and it's so valuable for us, but I, I can't just get there. So I'm gonna tell one story. It's a, if you are a studier of scripture, um, you, perhaps have read this story if you've been one of those people, yeah, I've read the whole Bible, so yeah, I know that, or I'm sort of up on things. Um, you may know this story, but for other people, you're going to be like, I never heard that one, because it's not one of the, the, it's not David and Goliath, or one of those, you know, oh yeah, everybody knows that story. And the way I'm going to do this, normally, if I'm going to read something from the Old Testament, which is not as familiar to people, I'm going to give you all the context ahead of time, right? so that when I read a story, you know exactly what has gone on before it. I'm not gonna do that this time. I'm gonna, have you ever watched one of those shows? I, I get sucked in right away. One of those shows that the very first episode, it, it like shows you some horrible crime or the after effect of something. And you're like, what's happening here? And you have to watch the whole season and it goes back and traces, how did we land here and so the whole season tells the whole story of how did we get to this point. Well, I'm going I'm to do that with you. Is that fair enough? All right, we're going to go to the book of 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 6. 
I want you to, to kind of use your imaginations and, and visualize this happening. <clears throat> and I'm just going to jump right in again. This is, the, this is the end of the story, but I'm using it as the beginning of the story. So chapter 6, starting with verse 1. David, this is, this is King David by now. David again brought together all the able young men of Israel, 30,000. So he got this big, huge, honking bunch of his guys. He and all his men went to Bala in Judah to bring up from there the Ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who enthroned between the cherubim on the Ark. You all know what the Ark is, right? I've, I've preached about that, but also, if you've seen the Indiana Jones movies, the Ark of the Covenant, that's, that's what we're talking about here. That's people's best knowledge of that, probably the only picture of that you've ever seen, um, that big old box with the angels sitting on top of it. <clears throat> they set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Uzzah and Ohio, well, Ohio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it, and Ohio was walking in front of it. David and all Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord, with castanets, harps, lyres, timbrels, sistrums, and cymbals. So kind of imagine this on, on one of those little paths that they would have had back then. There's this cart with the Ark of the Covenant sitting on it. Here's all the nation of Israel, kind of like a parade. And they're playing all their instruments and they're excited because because they finally conquered Jerusalem and kicked the Canaanites out and David's gonna take the ark back to Jerusalem and it's gonna be this high and holy celebration, right? This really great and wonderful day. Verse six. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down, and he died there beside the ark of God. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, the place is called Perez Uzzah. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, the ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months, and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. So imagine this story. And I know, it's a Sunday morning on a beautiful day, and I just told that horrible story, and you're like, well, I'm in a bad mood now. I, I, don't, really, I don't really like this. This is the end of the story. So here's the thing. The, the cart's going along, and the oxen are pulling it, and one of the sons of Abinadab, it goes through a pothole, right? They had potholes back then, just like now, not good roads, and the cart probably tilted a little bit. One of the wheels went in there, and they thought, maybe the ark is gonna fall off. And so this guy reaches out his hand to steady the ark. He does good work, right? He keeps the ark from falling on the ground, this sacred item, and from all the content spilling out. And the Lord just goes, and he just dies right there on the side of the road. 
That's not a happy story, is it? And you may be going, I don't know how she's going to bail herself out of this one and talk about the, the light that we're supposed to show from this particular story. This is one of the quandaries in the Old Testament. There are lots of quandaries that people struggle with. God would send the nation of Israel into a city to, to conquer it. And he'd say, go in there and kill every man, woman, child, baby, and livestock in the city. And we go, I can't wrap my mind around this. That story right there, I can't wrap my mind around this. Guy tried to do a really good thing. Why would God do that? And so people will, I'm not going to cherry pick. I'm going to tell you how we got to this story, but people will cherry pick. Atheists love to pull these stories and go, see, this is why we don't believe in that God. You call him a God of love, but this is not a God of love who would dare do anything like that. And if I can't understand it, I can't believe it. And that's what we do. If I can't understand it, I won't believe it. That's the culture that we live in. And there are even lots of people that would have called themselves Christians who are reading these scriptures and go, you know what, this doesn't make any sense to me. And so they've been believers their whole lives. They've been leaders in their churches. They've been ministry leaders. They've been all kinds of these things. And they decide, and they've come up with a term for it. And they're like, I, this makes no sense to me, so I'm going to deconvert I don't understand it, so I'm, I'm out. And if you think this is one or two people, you're sadly mistaken. And there's a whole bunch of people within the church showing their version of light that would say, you know what, Jesus didn't really have to die on the cross. We don't need the atonement because there is no hell and there is no consequence to sin and everybody's gonna live in paradise. And that is from the culture. Now, I could just leave that story and you'd be going, well, I'm not going to deconvert, but I'm kind of disturbed by this. Why would God do something like that? Did he have a reason? Let's find out. Let's go back and trace the story now. And so what I'm going to do is I can't read scripture because I'm going to cover in like 10 minutes. I'm going to cover over 400 years of history. I'm going I'm to go really rapidly, but it's all in there. I had a few people from the first service that went, I didn't know any of that stuff. I'm going to go home today and study. And I was like, yes. I hope it piques somebody's interest that you're like, I didn't know, I didn't know any of this. I'm going to go back and look. So I'm going to trace the history of the Ark of the Covenant right back, right back up to now. So, so buckle in, try to follow along with me. I know you might get snoozy on the, on the history part, but this is important, Okay. I am never going to stand up before you and waste your time. I'm going to teach you something, and I'm going to stuff scripture so far into your mouth that you're like, wow, that was a big old bite. <laughs> That's what I've been called to do. That's what I will do all my days till my last breath. So the Ark of the Covenant. The, the Israelites are released from captivity from Egypt, right? They crossed over, right? The Red Sea, everybody remember that? And they're wandering around. I remember I told you that there's like, we're talking about millions of people here and they're wandering around. We don't know what to do. 
And so God says, stop right here at Mount Sinai. Send my boy Moses up the mountain and I'm gonna give him some instructions for you. He gave the 10 commandments. And he gave tons and tons and tons of other scripture along with the 10 commandments. It's all in there in the early books. These were instructions, specific instructions. I want you to build a dwelling place for me. This is God talking. I'm gonna come down and I'm gonna be with the people. God had always been separate. No other religion. You're never gonna hear about God saying, I gotta be with my people. But you gotta build this tabernacle for me, this little churchy kind of place, and you gotta do it exactly the way I say. And there's specific, it gets boring. You can, if you're one of those, I read through the Bible in a year and you hit Exodus and Leviticus, you're gonna be like, why did I say I would do this? You're gonna hit it about February or March and be like, I wanna go outside. I don't wanna, I don't wanna read all this stuff because it's boring because it's cubits and spans and all. Why, why do we have to know this? Why is it important? God gives instructions specific on how to build this. And the very holiest place in the back was gonna be the place that the Ark of the Covenant was. And on top of the Ark of the Covenant, was the mercy seat, was the lid. And there were two cherubim angels. And the presence of God, when everything was exactly right, okay, and Moses had to go through there and he had to be like, okay, God, everything is right because God wasn't coming in there until it was exactly the way he said. And then he descended. During the day, it was a pillar of cloud and at night, it was a pillar of fire. And everywhere the Israelites went while they wandered in the desert, God was with them, with his people. But only the high priest could go into where the Holy of Holies, where this Ark of the Covenant was, and he could only go in there once a year. It was very sacred and very holy. Now the people wandered for 40 years, right, in the desert, and then they crossed the Jordan River into the Promised Land. The, the land God had promised was gonna be theirs. And when they crossed over, no more manna fell from the sky, he didn't feed them anymore or land on the, you know, on the ground, and the pillar went away because God had taken them to the place that they were in. And so they are in the land of promise, but there's all these other people that live there. So they had to go and conquer all these other peoples, and that's a long history. But during that time, for a few years, they set up the tabernacle in this one little town, and then they finally decided to put it in Shiloh, which sort of was like the capital of Israel. This is way back, not Jerusalem. Jerusalem belonged to the Canaanites and lots of otherites. But they put it in Shiloh and they set it up permanently and it sat there, the whole tabernacle, for 369 years. And the priests went in there and they made sacrifices because they had to atone for sin right at that point. Jesus hadn't come yet, so all this stuff is going on in there. And then we about reached the point where we're now back to 1 Samuel. In, in the history line. When we get to 1 Samuel, Eli is the judge. And there were judges over the land that were like leaders of Israel at this point. This was before there was any kings. And he was also the high priest. So he, was, he got to work in the tabernacle. He had two sons, and their names were Phinehas and Hophni. And they helped Eli. About this time, if you know the story of Samuel, Samuel is born. Samuel is going to be God's guy. He was going to be high priest. He was going to be the last judge. Samuel was the last judge in Israel and also the first prophet. And so Sam, here's Samuel about to be leader. 
Phineas and Hophni, who worked in the tabernacle, were not good guys. They cheated. The, the priests were supposed to take part of the sacrifice, part of the meat, and keep it for themselves, and they kept all of it, all the best parts for themselves. And so they were cheaters. But that's no big deal, right? Because they're still doing God's work. It doesn't matter if they change just a couple of things. No big deal. They also loved to sleep around with the women that were outside the tabernacle that helped bring firewood and water and all the things that they would need. Um, they just slept around with them. But it's no big deal, right? Because they were still doing God's work. They were still God's priests. They still made the sacrifices. So really, who, who cares? They were shining some good light, right? And so here's what the, the Israelites are fighting with the Philistines. They're in another big battle, and they're losing bad. So somebody, some Philistine, or no, some Israelite decided, hey, let's take the Ark of the Covenant and let's carry it down into battle. And then the Philistines are gonna see our God and they're gonna be all freaked out and we're, gonna, we're just gonna plow right through them. So they go to Phineas and Hophni and go, hey, can we borrow the Ark of the Covenant for a while? We wanna, we wanna take it down into our battle. And Phineas and Hophni, who are followers of God, but doing things their own way, what do you think they said? Sure, why not? In fact, we'll go with you. And so they take it down into battle, and the next day the, the Israelites are like, woo, this is it. We're gonna defeat those creepy old Philistines, and this is gonna be so awesome. And guess what happened? Oh, they got their butts whooped bad. And the Israelites were slaughtered, and the Philistines took the Ark of the Covenant from them. The Israelites came home defeated. Oh. So the Philistines take this Ark of the Covenant and they decide they're going to put it in one of, one of their houses of worship. They had, a, they had a big god who was this big stone god. And they put it in there. And the next day they came in to look at it because they're like, oh, we have Israel's god now. And we'll put it right next to our god. And they put it in there and they came in the next day and their big, huge stone guy is tipped over on his face. And they're like, I wonder how that happened. So they got a whole bunch of Philistines and they picked it back up and they left and they came back the next day and guess, it was down on his face again. They're like, what is going on here? And they put it back up. The next day they come in, not only was it knocked down, its head had gotten knocked off and its hands. And they're like, whoa, this God of Israel is a big deal. We don't want this Ark of the Covenant here. Let's send it out of here to another town. So they send it over to the next Philistine town. They put it on the, the cart and they send it on its way. And the next day, all the Philistines in that town wake up with tumors all over them. And so I looked up and I was like, tumors? So I, I, I looked up that word and the original word, I guess they're not gonna use this in the Bible, but it wasn't tumors, it was hemorrhoids really bad ones. The whole town woke up the next day with really, really, really bad hemorrhoids. And so they're, they're walking around and they're like, oh, oh, oh. We don't want this ark in our town. Get, get rid of it. Let's send it over. We don't like that town across the way. Let's send it over to them and not tell them. So they put it up, they put it up on the 
the cart and they send it on its way and so the next town is like, oh cool, we got the God of Israel here, isn't that cool? Isn't that funny that they thought that this was the God? A piece of something that they could worship. So it gets into that town, next day they wake up, guess what? Ooh, doggies. <laughs> not only, so they send it to another town, the same thing happens, but the next time, not only do the people wake up with these hemorrhoids all over them, I don't, I don't know where else you get them, but I don't really wanna know. There was rats all over the town, too. Rats everywhere, and there, there's some historical thing that this is, that bubonic plague got really, um, into all these people and really affected them in a bad way. So finally, all the Philistines know, we gotta get rid of this God. We don't want it here. It, it's causing us all kinds of trouble. We wanna get rid of it. So they, they got a cart and they put it on there and they're gonna take it back to Israel. And they're like, we can't just take it back like this because we've had it for seven months. What are, we, what are we gonna do? Let's send them a bunch of gifts. So they're like piling money and grain, all kinds of food on there and they even made why they would want to do this, they made solid gold rats. <laughs> you know, there's, there's a lot of funky stuff in that Bible, I'm telling you. So they made these solid gold rats and sent them back, and they're like, here's all your stuff, and we deliver it back to you, and, and so it's in, we're almost back to this story. It's back in Israel. And so the little town they brought it to, the people are like, whoo, look at this, let's celebrate, let's stick it up on this big rock in a field, and we're gonna celebrate. But while we celebrate, nobody's around. Let's open it and look in it. So y'all have seen Indiana Jones, right? It didn't, it didn't go exactly like that, but we're close. Uh, so they opened it because they wanted to see what was in there. All of them dead. And you're like, see, here's God again going, come on. We want to celebrate. We got this thing back for God. What is your problem, God? And so they store it for 20 years at this guy named Abinadab at his house. And Abinadab's family is blessed because he took it and he cared for it and he didn't touch it and he didn't do anything like that and everything's great. And then here comes David. I wanna take it back to Jerusalem. We're gonna celebrate. We're gonna do God's work. We're gonna do this in a good way. And they put it on the cart and then you saw what happened. And David got angry at God. And how many times have we not understood something that God told us not to do something or told us to do something? And we're like, I don't really wanna do that. Or I don't really wanna stop doing that. Or I wanna be like everybody else out there. And we just get just a little annoyed with him and think how unfair of you, God, to do something to us. We're sorta of following you. We're sorta of doing your thing. What is your problem? That's what happened to David. But here's the truth of the matter. In the law, that law that Moses got, and it was written down and they read the law every year, it said don't ever touch the ark or you'll die. Don't touch it. See, there was poles in the ark. There was poles with all the things that went into the tabernacle, but only in the ark of the covenant did the poles never come out because you can't ever touch that. You can't even look upon it or you'll die. God said that. David either didn't know the law. This is the king. This is a man after God's heart. He either didn't know 
the law or he forgot. And so what we find in this story is, is the clash we find in the world. Just, I know, I know that was a lot of history and you're like, whoa, my head's kind of spinning. I'm kind of having a hard time staying awake now. Get awake right for a minute, okay? This is what's happening in our world. This is what was happening in this moment. David was mad at God because God did not adjust to him. This is what we're looking at in our culture today. This is what the culture is trying to infect us with. I want to show your light, but you have to adjust to me, God. I don't like this and I don't like that. I don't like you killed some guy just because he touched the ark. How unfair of you. Why don't you adjust? I did the right thing. Who cares how I got there? And God in that moment, because he's perfect, because he's never changing, because you can always count on him, I told you how to do it. And you did it your own way and that man died because I am a fair and a just God. And we don't like that. And we want him to adjust to us. But guess what? If we're gonna, if we're gonna do this right, church, if we're gonna raise our children and our children's children, and I'm guessing that you care about that, if you don't care about all the history that I just told you, you're like, I don't really get the point of this. You care about your children and your children's children. We have one light to show. His light, his way. And here is the message of the true church. We adjust to him. I'll say that two more times because I don't want you to miss that. We adjust to him. We don't have to like everything he has. I didn't want to preach this message today. And he's like, this is the message I want you to preach. And I said, okay. I yielded. That's what he wants. There is a way to do this thing, to present the gospel. And it's his way. And you can't pick and choose the things you like and skip over the other things. And you can't sit out there and listen to everybody else because they're going to give you some great arguments out there about why you shouldn't follow this God that would just let somebody die or make them die. You have to learn it here and decide who you are as a child of God and then go out there. If you try to learn it out there, you will compromise left and right. You will say, I still want to show the light. I'm just going to show it in a different way. And it's okay. It doesn't matter how I get there as long as I get there. As long as I call myself a Christian, I can be different six days of the week, but on Sunday, doggone it, I'm going to be in that church every time and everybody's going to know it. And I'm going to tell everybody I'm a Christian, but I'm not going to live it 24-7. Can't do that. This was the problem in this story. David said, I want to honor you, God. I'm going to take the ark back to Jerusalem. Worship you. Got all the instrument players. We're celebrating. 
but he didn't want to do it God's way. He didn't want to adjust to God. He wanted God to adjust to him, and we cannot do that. Let me read a couple of passages from the New Testament, and then I'm done. I'm going to take you back to where Bud spent the last at least month, maybe longer. I'm going to take you back to 2 Timothy chapter 3, which is where he was. I'll give you a second to get there. I'm not going to read you the verses that he used. He went over those really well, and I hope that you will go back. And, you know, we, we keep all of our sermons. And you can go back and listen to those anytime. There's a lot of things to learn there. But I am going to be in chapter 3, and I'm just going to go down to a very familiar two verses. <clears throat> this is chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 of 2 Timothy. All scripture. How much of this? All of it. Is God breathed? And see, part of the culture out there will say, no, that's not true. You're stupid if you believe that. You're ignorant and you're weak if you believe that. You don't need all that stuff from the Old Testament. You don't need a lot of that. But this is what the word says. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. David either didn't know the scripture at the time, of course a lot of this wasn't written yet, or he forgot. And look what happened, who is that on? It's on David. It's on all the rest of them. Whoever thought to take the Ark of the Covenant down into a battle and that was gonna be a good idea. Little compromises all along the way. The culture sneaking in. You know what David did? He moved the cart the way the Philistines did. He went to the culture and said, I want to do a God thing, but I'm going to do it the way they did it. And there was a cost to that. We cannot do our faith the way the world is going to tell us to do it. We're going to be in big trouble. And flip over to chapter 4. might be on the same page for you. might be just on the next page. Chapter 4, verses 2 through 5. These words speak really deeply to me. I hope that they do to you too. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct. Rebuke. And encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come, and guess what? It's not coming tomorrow. It's not coming next week. It's not coming next month. It's not coming at the next presidential election. It is here. It is here right now, and we don't have time to be asleep at the wheel anymore. For the time will come, listen to this, when people will not put up with sound doctrine. They're not gonna put up with this. 
Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. That's out there. If you go out there to try to understand your faith, you're going to hear a lot of false teachers tell you a lot of stuff, and it's going to sound good. They may be able to teach better than I can and make it sound even more believable, but they're not teaching the truth and they're not being the light. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you, but you, but you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Do you know what the work of an evangelist is? Just tell the good news. And who is the good news? It's Jesus. Tell the good news of Jesus. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. One more final scripture, and then I'm done. If you go over a couple books to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. When God started this whole thing with the nation of Israel, he said, I want you to be a nation set apart. I want you to be different than the people that you live around. I don't want you to be just like them. And he says that to us. He doesn't want us to be like everybody else. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you... But you are a chosen people, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful, what? Light. If we're ever gonna be that light, you gotta understand you cannot be like the culture. It's gonna cost you. You may lose friends. People may make fun of you. People make fun of me all the time. I have family members that make fun of me. Oh, you and your Jesus freak stuff. You know what they call me that they think is a derogatory term that they'll call you too? You'll hear it in the news all the time if you start to listen to it. They'll call us evangelicals. And it's like said with a nasty type term. You know what that means? You know what evangelicals mean? If you're an evangelist, what are you gonna do? You're gonna tell the good news of Jesus. How dare we? Why can't you just be like the regular Christians that just go with the flow? You evangelical hippies. I wore my hippie shirt today just for that. Just for that. Be willing to be a set-apart nation. Be willing to be different when, no matter where you go and what you do, and people look at you and go, 
why did they forgive that? Why didn't they laugh at us at the water cooler? I don't even know if they have water coolers anymore. At the, at the lunch break table when we were all gossiping about so-and-so. Why would they give to the poor? Why would they forgive? Why would they love when I haven't loved them? They're stupid. They believe all those old stories when they should just embrace the truth that's out here. Just love any way you want. You'll still show the light. You don't have to talk about that old Jesus. Forget that old Jesus. And we can't. The time has come to be a nation set apart where you go, you know what, I'm making a stand. I'm drawing a line in the sand. I'm standing up for Jesus, whatever it costs me. I don't care anymore because I care more about our children and our children's children. I want to be part of building a life for them as this world continues. We are a royal priesthood, a chosen people. Let's stand firm on that truth and adjust our lives to him. Let's sing.